Welcome back to the Mentor Exchange Podcast. This is the third, second episode for this semester. Don't look at me like that. Don't look at me like that. Okay, <laughs> look, I barely remember how many episodes we have now, all right? We, we, we just record these things and... It's a, it's a third episode of this semester, although uh, I'm behind in posting. Oh, okay, so it's a third it's a one. Third. It's a third. I knew I was right. Out here playing my emotions. So today, um, as mentioned on the last episode, it's a very special episode. We have with us a number of guests who serve not only our community in various ways, but bring with them a wealth of different experiences and stories and identities and so forth. So I'm going to start by introducing everybody going to the right. Um, to my right, I have Dr. Akila Carter-Francique, PhD from the University of Georgia. She's an associate professor at San Jose State University in the Department of African American Studies. She also serves as the executive. She also serves as the executive director for the Institute for the Study of Sport, Society, and Social Change at, at San Jose State University. Her scholarly endeavors and field of focus encompass the intersection of sports, society, and social change that is inclusive of issues of diversity, social movements, and the dynamics of social change and development. She employs a critical Interpretivist, Jesus Christ, I know I can read. A critical interpret, you know what? I said the word already. Standpoint, (laughs) utilizing black feminist thought and critical race theory to illuminate issues of experimental marginalization. And as a former collegiate athlete and track and field at the University of Houston, this includes the experiences of black athletes in sports at all levels of participation. Carter Francis served as the 2018 to 2019 president of North American Society for the Sociological for Sociological for the Social Sociology of Sports for the Love of God. Get it together, Aaron. No, I think it's the size of the font, Aaron. You you might be right. You might be Mm -hmm. on something here. And (laughs) she is the (laughs) co-editor of Athletic Experience at Historically Black Colleges and Universities, past, present and persistence and critical race theory, black athletic experiences in the United States. Okay. To her right, we have Miss Monique Clark. Monique Clark is the bio that I'm trying to find because I know where it is. Don't judge me, people. <laughs> I'm a work in progress. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Look at that. Look at that. Monique Clark, a Bay Area native and born into deaf culture is a child of deaf adults, where American Sign Language was her first language. Wow. Monique began her career as a sign language interpreter, where she held a staff interpreter position for 16 years at a post-secondary institution before transitioning into a corporate setting, where she now manages sign language interpreters. Before joining Black Female Project, Monique found herself asking, that, asking the all-too-common question, when facing challenges at work, am I seeing this right or am I crazy? This changed when you found a black female project. She now says, it's comforting knowing I am not alone in my struggles. Listening to the beautiful black, pre- listening to the beautiful black female project stories has helped me to begin to articulate my own experiences, claim my space, navigate my professional journey to where I can help others do the same. 
Coming from a family labeled with having a disability, oftentimes the only black woman in professional settings, the intersectionality of her experiences has led her on a personal journey, on a personal quest for diversity and inclusion in corporate spaces, as well as a sense of urgency for the wellness, healing, and resilience from interpreters of color. Today, Monique facilitates monthly conversations for interpreters of color, as well as presents workshops and hosts events related to cultural competence and accountability with a strong focus on the ability to authentically drive, authentically thrive in the workplace as people of color. I said drive because I was thinking of a story that just happened. So we're going to get there at some point too. We're we, we going to pack this one. This is going to be fun. Um, I guess because somebody just sat down to you, right? I can go to the person who just sat down. Um, Miss Armani Donahue is an alumni of San Jose State University and has been working here since last January at the, Black, at the African American Black Student Success Center. Her legacy at SESU encompasses student leadership experiences and impactful programs for black students. Some signature programs she is working to establish with the Black, with the black Student Center are the Womanites Forum, Black Spartan Retreat, Harambe Community Dinner, Celebration of Black Excellence, and many more to come. Outside of work, her interests lie in wellness, specifically tied to yoga and plant-based cuisine. She's actually one of my favorite vegans. And granted, she always tries to convert me to veganism. <laughs> it, it's a work in progress. You know, I eat more fruits now, but we getting there. Exploring concepts and in, in conversations, and she listens really well. Gives you good advice. And, you know, sometimes she is the joke. Like, you want to make a joke, but she's actually really funny herself. <laughs> um, last but not least, we have Miss mm -hmm. um, Jasmine Brown is a writer, editor, and activist from Oakland, California. As a creative, most of her work, much of her work centers around social ad advocacy for the overall well-being of people of color. She's a logistics and programming guru who loves lending her organizing capacities to heart-centered work. She's a graduate of the University of California, Los Angeles, where she received a degree in African American Studies with an emphasis in film and television. She has worked with a, she has worked with and continues to work with a number of nonprofits in and beyond the Bay Area as a consultant, including the Black Female Project, SE Justice Group, the Museum of the African Diaspora, Out of the Box Projects, Girl Fly, and Catch Light. The tenants that govern where she goes next are writing the earth, traveling, women, healing, and visual arts. She records her journey on her website, a link we will post in the description for this podcast. Because I know if I read it, people are going to be like, hold on, go back five times, I want to I hear it again. <laughs> so you get to start our podcast, we go over um, like our current events and things like that. But today, uh, with it being the second to last day of Black History Month, I think we should go over, you know, one of the things we enjoy most about our blackness and in Chris's case, being a person of color, unless he wants to talk about black culture and the things that he enjoys about it. So we'll start with Dr. Tara Francie mm -hmm. and we'll go around. So basically, what do I say that again? What, do, what I? do you enjoy about being black? Gosh. Um, 
For me, even this time of year, um, I guess most recently over the past few years has been significant because I can share more with my kids. I've got two little ones and to be able to open their eyes to these different figures, historically, again, those that we already know, but I think even, you know, learning new ones with them um, has been the joy for me. So one of the, the, the things I've done recently with them, um, gosh, just over the past two weeks, uh, of course, my, they know about Dr. King, et cetera, but uh, to share with them the Harlem Globetrotters. So I took them to a game recently and just kind of, you know, told them about their history and what they meant to the sport community and to um, not only in the U.S., but, of, co of course, abroad um, and stopping political wars so they could come and entertain. And then war would, you know, go back the way it was, which I thought was very interesting, but their, their political nature um, and how they were used historically. Um, and then uh, most recently, this past week, we had a program with the Institute and San Jose Museum of Art and um, I took my daughter with me to introduce her to Tommy Smith, um, not only to Tommy Smith, but also to Dr. Harry Edwards and Ken Noel, um, and just told them about, you know, uh, told her about their role in the movement and the significance of the statue and the post that they made. So, you know, really trying to bridge the gap between my children and I, um, but of course, as a teacher educator, being able to share that with my students as well. So, yeah, new knowledge. Those little ones. <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, I would say what I enjoy the most, I have three things that I wrote down. Um, resilience is number one. As a people, we've been through so much. So just to see, like, as far as we've come with, like, the restricted boundaries that we've been given and just seeing, like, everything that we've done, it's very remarkable. Mm -hmm. um, and that's hard to, to not recognize with everything that's happened. Um, and I would say just our significance in culture as well, um, regardless of us kind of being all over the place for different reasons in historical time. Um, I feel like it's hard, we're, we're hard to ignore sometimes. So that's, what are the right words I could say? Thank you. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, that's something to be, that's something to be spoken for because there's so much that we've contributed through time, and there's so much that has been either contributed by choice or by, I don't want to say colonization necessarily, but like stolen kind of like. Histories. Yeah, just I think everyone can kind of understand where I'm coming from mm -hmm. with that. Like, regardless if we wanted to contribute to a certain fashion statement or language or not, regardless, we're very, we're, we have been a significant piece of all of those things. Mm -hmm. And I would just say our energy. I just like the way that we, we shine and we light up. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I was, <clears throat> excuse me, I was gonna say much of what you said about mm -hmm. the resiliency and, and just basically like um, cultural appropriation is everywhere that's real. You know, every time I'm looking around, um, I see that how beautiful we are and, and um, we just radiate you know, we just radiate our culture, you know, and people want to gravitate towards that. And I just love how we've evolved as a as a people and the things that we pass down to our children, but not only that, but how they can take it and apply it, you mm -hmm. know? So that's, that's the part I'm loving about black culture. 
Um, I think I would say something similar. Um, just the whole idea about no matter where we are in the world, like, <laughs> you know what it is. Mm -hmm. Essentially, that's how I felt when you first posed the question. It's like, you know what it is. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's it's beyond community, right? Because like you were saying, it transcends locality. It's almost a genetic memory of sorts. Mm -hmm. And so that genetic memory, that's the like the highest vibration of that, you know, not not all of the other things that come that kind of weigh us down or, or, or knock us off of our center in genetic memory, but those things that it's like when you look at another black person shining, like you just recognize that some of that is a part of you. Mm -hmm. And so that's the part of our black history or black people in general that I think, yeah, that that's what means the most to me, definitely. That's beautiful. <laughs> Staring at you. You gotta answer the question now. <laughs> All right. Um, I can't. Um, I think for me, one of the things I really enjoy about um, being able to participate in various ways as an ally, as a supporter, um, as somebody who's also been affected um, by black culture um, is just understanding more about it, understanding its role in um, this country, in the culture that I grew up in. Um, as somebody who identifies as Chinese, as East Asian, um, of course there's a natural tendency for me to want to like see the connections and the points that they link up and the ways in which we overlap or intersect and times in which our struggles have been similar and times in which our struggles have been very far apart. Um, but outside of that, just um, as somebody who's not part of the black community, um, being able to look into the black community and appreciate the, um, not just the contributions, but the way the struggle has looked mm -hmm. and understanding that, you know, as black folks have struggled in this country, every time there's a, there's a, a win and accomplishment and overcoming, that that um, elevates uh, all folks of color, and that elevates all communities of color in this country, mm -hmm. and that every time black folks in the history of this country have been able to do something successfully, it makes all folks of color be able to point to that and say, yeah, that was, that was awesome. That was really great, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and that that's everything, you know, like pop culture, entertainment, music, sports, you know, po politics, policy, you know? Um, so, yeah. So, question. When somebody says they're going to go park, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Park. Yes, they're going to go park. No, the sentence mm -hmm. is, all right, so um, I'll just park it right here or come and get me after. I'll just park it right here and come get me. That's the sentence. Yes. You got to tell so, the whole sentence. So when somebody says they're going to park it, what, what are you assuming they're going to park? themselves or a vehicle i assume the vehicle right mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah so we were on our way themselves. out of here monique yeah. and i and she's like okay i'm gonna go park and i say oh so where'd you park at and she's like Some, somewhere over there and so i was like so when you move when you go park i'll take you to one of the centers you can get some work done at and so she starts to like walk off <laughs> and then she stops and she's like 
oh, I didn't mean park my car. I meant myself. She's like, I'm sorry. I was my right? generational thing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. You know, I was talking to I you. Uh, right here. Yes. Yes. She's like, I'm sorry. You know, I, 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 I was speaking adult. And you know, I, I have to remember that you're like still a kid. And I was like, oh. I thought I was a whole adult at this point, you know what I mean? Like, I turned 25 last year. I thought I was doing this adult thing properly. And she's like, you're my kid's age. And I'm like, wait. Right? And I'm like, wait, you mean like kids you teach? Or you mean like kids Kids you... I bore. She's like, kids I... And I was like, you know what? It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought I was, I, I thought I was no, up to an hour you, ago, but I'm not. I'm not. So, about perspective. Right. It's and the way he's telling it is, you know, a little bit skewed because, you know, he just told it his way, his view, but I didn't say it that way. <laughs> I was just saying that because I'm a little older, I might, you know, have said some old school terms that you maybe not have picked up on mm-hmm. yeah that's what i meant look i'm just trying to be a cool cat out here <laughs> me too uh, that's why i said i'm gonna go park right here oh i right. wasn't too cool right. at that moment i'm saying it's fly and they right. don't understand fly exactly so don't say like right. kick it chill what do we say no you What's know what word i learned uh mm-hmm. post no up. cap post up yeah i learned no, no cap. cap no, no cap. cap in 2019 no cap mm-hmm. then to park it would be to like, post up to like, post okay like no caps like facts right yeah, that's Facts. what I learned. Okay. Oh, okay. So, what is, what is it? Where does it come? Why does it? No exist? lie. I don't know. Look, I, I'm in the loop, but I'm out of the same time. Like, yeah. I know, I know things to, to fit in. Mm-hmm. I like. I don't. I don't question where they come from anymore. <laughs> something, something new just comes up, and you're just like, oh, okay, that's that's cool. So we're gonna um, go in reverse. So I want to start with the personal, and then we'll bring the documentary into the fold. But um, Dr. Carter Francis, you found yourself being the first black woman to transcend many boundaries, whether that's to be the first black woman who's become the executive director for the Institute or the first black woman as the president of NAS. And your achievements don't really stop there. But when you think about that, how does it make you feel? It's honestly, it's, it's still seeping in. Um, even from being that first uh, president of NAS. But I, I will say, you know, it just got off my, my tenure, gave my keynote speech. Um, and it was one that was very emotional because and and coming to the understanding of that's what I was, that's what I represented. Um, and during that, that year span, because we, we become the president and then you have a year to sit and then you give your keynote presentation, um, since that time and, and during that time, I would get a lot of commentary and side conversations from other students, from other women of color. I have our sister dot group, and it's listening to all those stories about challenges that we've had of trying to overcome, of challenges of trying to um, facilitate and usher other people in. You know, yes, I'm climbing, but I'm, I'm bringing people up with me. Um, and it's been a lot of struggle, a lot of challenge. and. I think through all of that, I've kind of held it together. But at that moment when I was giving that speech, like right before, things just kind of fell apart for me mm. because I was like, oh my, I mean, it was a lot. It was a lot I was carrying. So the speech, when I delivered it, was extremely emotional. And um, because then I started not only understanding that and taking that into account, but all the things I've read from Bell Hooks and mm. Audrey Lord and Pat Hill Collins and you know, Paula Giddings just started to 
come over me and wash over me. So um, it makes me feel good that I was, but at the same time, I'm still taking it in because it's 2019, 2020, and I'm the first. So that's kind of hard to kind of even wrap my head around too of why am I the first? Um, but then even being the first, knowing I want other people to come behind me. So I know you're going to get into this notion of kind of playing roles and wearing the mask. It, it was, a, it is a lot of that and it's exhausting in that sense. Um, so excitement, um, but at the same time, um, I guess a, a weight as well. Okay. So, yeah. Miss Monique, you were born to deaf parents. Mm-hmm. What was that like navigating, not only having to pick up a first language that was more so communicative with your body, but with time learning to use your own voice as well? Hmm. Use my own voice. What do you mean by that? Um, so language is, is powerful because it, it comes in so many different forms. Like you can write words, you can gesture with your hand, you can mm-hmm. gesture with your body, you can gesture with sounds. But, um, and I'm asking this question under the impression that because sign language was your first language, that it took you a while to learn um, the power that lied in both, you know, speaking with your hands and being able to speak with your own voice hmm, as well. I see. Yeah, so a lot of a lot of times um, people think that American Sign Language is just this picturesque thing that we're doing with these gestures, but in itself is is an actual language. Like I don't remember learning sign language, but I remember learning to speak English. Like I remember them teaching me saying, you know, this is the right way to say the words, you know. Um, and I also remember like not really fitting in a lot with hearing culture. That's what we call mm-hmm. a person who's able to to hear. We call them hearing culture or a hearing person, excuse me. Um, I remember that. Um, and I also remember like interpreting for my parents, you know, just could be a simple thing, like going to a government office, trying to get some aid or something. And I remember people just like really being dismissive of of my mom trying to communicate and she would have this piece of paper and like can you write it down and they're just like next you know and me understanding how to claim space in that moment like hey my my mom needs some services and I'm like six or seven years old Mm -hmm. so I learned that like this survival mechanism you know to speak up and stand up for um, their rights I don't know. Did I answer your question? Kind of. You did. Yeah. You did. Okay. Yeah. So Jasmine, mm-hmm. you write. Mm-hmm. What 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 do you what do you write and what do you like to write? Um, a lot of the times when I feel compelled to write, um, it's like the things that I that I like, and it started with the things I didn't like. So like, um, I was asked one time, so how do you choose which medium? It seems like you've studied film, now you're engaging photography, you write, like you just seem to be all over the place. But um, I guess one time that resonates for me is when Nipsey Hussle passed. And um, I remember getting the news and then I was just kind of walking around in circles and spaces that I know that I knew, right? But I felt very disoriented. And I was like, how do I get this off of me? You know, like how do I get whatever this these 
feelings are, how do I get them out? And I was, I just had to go home and write. I just had to. It was almost like I didn't have a choice. Um, the other things that I like to write are I like to document other people's stories, uh, people who cross my path, people who are in my network. And I think that there's something to it, something that you can look back at, you know, wisdom. Those are the things that I like to translate through writing, definitely. So you sent me two bios. <laughs> and the second one. <laughs> but you can never be too thorough, okay? <laughs> if you can't choose, make them choose. Um, so you sent me two bios. And in the second one, you mentioned how you like writing other people's stories. Mm-hmm. How has that impacted how you've learned to write your own story? I think it makes me not feel alien anymore. I think for a long time, I just felt so out of sorts with so many aspects of my identity, right? Like being from a certain level of income, being from a certain city, you know, having a certain list of generational things. It it just, if there's a lot of things that we don't speak about in our community that we're starting to talk about now, Mm -hmm. right? And in that speech, it's like somebody better write it down quick because we don't know if we'll have another phase of, you know, not really talking through things, not really showing people that there are folks out there that are like you that that you may think are or historically have been quote unquote run of the mill, right? But every day folks do amazing things and you come across so many amazing people, they don't have to be a celebrity in order to impart wisdom on you. And I think that's probably what I try and capture most is kind of like the magic that everybody has, especially as women of color, as black women, as black people, anybody. Yeah. I like that. Thank you. So, Ms. Donahue, you find yourself being, I want to say, the first program assistant for Newly Formed Center. Mm -hmm. What has that experience been like for you? Mm, It's been a lot of, of like, building. It's I honestly, and I think it came in in a very special time for me because I had just graduated college in 2018. I started May 2018, so about eight months later, I started working here. It really just feels like adulting. Like you get no manual for this thing, just go. And like when I came in here, I was by myself, and it was like, just go. You know. Um, so it's it's just one of those things like you kind of just have to reach out to people that you trust to be able to ask different questions, ask about feedback from events, listen to the students, um, keep everyone engaged and just finding just different ways to like make sure that you're still getting your goals across, but at the same time incorporating other people in the vision. Um, but yeah, it's been a process. I think it's smoother now that there's been more time. I think it's smoother now that I do have um, a boss. It's smoother now that I think students are aware that they can be vocal about some of their different needs or wants that they want here. Um, And just seeing that action through time. But uh, yeah, it was a process. And I don't know if it, I don't know if it ever will necessarily like smooth out Like with the iron, I don't know if that'll ever really happen. Because I feel like regardless of how much time different places have been on this campus, there's always something going on. Um, And just like adulting, as soon as you start to figure out what you think you're finally correct about, something else happens. So, you know, there's always going to be room for growth. But 
it's been a process for sure. But it's adult and shit scam. Okay? <laughs> it I is. We are getting scammed. I don't, I don't know, know what, what we're so excited is. about. I can't get my refund check. A refund check. <laughs> so. Oh, the whole thing is happening. Yeah, is it? So, is it going to be a dinner now? No, it's going to be a street fair. But no colors. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry about that, I mean, that's good. You got to do something because I know that was like. Yeah. See, just like we were just talking about, there's always something that yeah. you like different roadblocks you run into. And they've been open for like no, and they've been open for like fifteen, twenty years. And then the scam gets worse when you have kids. <laughs> I've never birthed any kids, but I have kids, wow. and these mothers drive me crazy. I would like to transition to first understanding what the Black Female Project is, and then what the institute does. And then we'll talk about the documentary because I know we'll tie it all together. Mm -hmm. So what is the Black Female Project? Well, in my words, the Black Female Project is a multimedia storytelling effort about black women's um, experiences in the workplace, like how they navigate sexism and racism and all of the things that contribute to our experiences um, at work. And um, we have a podcast, we have a series of conversations, a whole bunch of different events. We have one coming up, uh, the Black Female Project in conversation with the Black Teacher Project. Um, I had the honor and privilege of facilitating a conversation abroad, the first international conversation in Paris, uh, in collaboration with a group called Maison Noir Americaine, which translates to, I believe, the Black House. Um, so that's just kind of a summary or a snapshot of what the Black Female Project is. How about for you, Monique? For me, I have an interesting story of how I found the Black Female Project. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I was going through a crazy point of my life, my professional career, where um, a lot of things were happening. I was like, am I crazy? I think I'm experiencing this. Um, I don't know. And then when I was told that I needed to be put on leave so that they could further figure out like what was happening, you know, workplace harassment, all that stuff, then I was like looking for support, like, okay, now I need to get to my roots and find some resources for myself. And I was on Instagram actually, and just hashtagged black females, black women, you know, and, or black females in the corporate environment, things like that. And I found Black Female Project. So they said podcast, and I'm like looking on my iPhone at the podcast. <laughs> Like this, so, and then I found um, SoundCloud, and I was I listened to one interview, then I listened to the next one. I listened, and I was like, oh my god, these are my stories. This is what I'm happening. This is what I'm going through right now. Um, and there was a meetup, and I went to that one, and I was like so nervous because I'm putting myself out there and being like for real vulnerable, not the vulnerable. They say you can be vulnerable at your workplace, not that kind of vulnerable. I'm talking about like for real, like me putting myself out there, right? didn't know anybody in this in the it was in Oakland I didn't know anyone I went there and I start hearing these voices I was like oh my gosh that's precious the one I've been listening to on the podcast mm -hmm. that's Jay that's Che you know and that's Dana oh my god you know and so just meeting them and realizing that I'm not by myself I'm not alone and oh my gosh if I had this information before 
I would be in a different place. Or I can tell my daughters or my nieces, you know? Um, so Black Female Project for me, like I, I wanna like preach it in the streets because <laughs> for real, because it's really helped me to thrive authentically and feel okay in my skin and not have to oftentimes perform. Or when I am performing, I'm very mindful of when I'm performing and I know the tools and resources that I can go to to you know work that out mm-hmm. yeah dr c what is the the institute so the institute institute for the study of sports society and social change was founded in 2017 um i did not arrive until basically august of 2019 so it has been in operation for a couple of years um with an interim director and its main purpose is to you know, examine issues of social justice, social change type things within the context of sport. Um, Since I've come in and sort of taken over, um, I've been really trying to kind of take a step back, press the pause button and work on the infrastructure and really grounding it um, because it was originally sort of housed within our university, but within university advancement, which is like budgets and whatnot. Now it's moved over into um, academic affairs. And so my goal is to to root it in academe in the sense of research, teaching, and service. Um, And so um, what I've been doing is just really out in the community trying to get to know, because that's the only way I know how to do, is to, you know, engage with the university, engage with other professors, engage with other um, centers in the university, but also to engage with the surrounding community, um, other spaces and places that are in the regional area um, and then kind of all things sport uh, as well. Um, and so I'm a former track and field athlete. So of course I'd be lying to anything track related <laughs> that I can find. Um, but it, it's been good so far. I think like Miss Donahue, my thing has just been, it's going, going, going and really trying to help people understand what the Institute is Um, what its mission is. So I've not only been in the surrounding community, but also been traveling um, and going to different conferences, such as the NAS conference and sharing the vision and introducing students to our faculty affiliates that we have that are all across the U.S. and Canada right now. Um, Black Student Athlete Summit and immersing ourselves within that space to, again, um, be able to sort of stand in solidarity as it relates to marginalized student athletes, uh, as well as um, getting ready to go to NCBS Um, uh, the National Council of Black Studies, such that we can, again, sort of plan a space and say, even within this context of blackness, that sport played a key and very significant role um, in black studies even coming to be. Mm -hmm. So um, we focus on research. We focus on our programming. We focus on on our our service. um, uh, But my my main focus is really just the, the educational factor uh, of it and engaging others in the learning process um, that can take place and the learning that can happen about a lot of different issues using sport as a medium. So whether it be Title IX, whether it be voting rights, whether it be um, violence, domestic violence, whether it be um, issues of, in the LGBTQ community, um, whether it be social justice, as I work with a young group of students last week and just kind of teaching them how to start a campaign, um, you know, that's what we're going to do. Um, and at the end of the day, to work with these groups to promote social change and promote notions of empowerment. Um, and so um, that's what we've been doing. And I say we, meaning 
me, but <laughs> but at the same time, being able to, I've been fortunate and, and I've had some occasions where I've been able to bridge, you know, some some um, relationships and work with other groups um, to help bring that information to the fore. So, you, yeah. me, the two, your yes. two assistants. Yeah, yeah. So and we don't know how we do it. Students but are done. amazing. Yeah. Um, so it's been really, really good. So thank you. Thank you. So um, the documentary that was watched to predate this conversation is called Living Thinkers, mm -hmm. uh, Women in the Ivory Tower. Mm -hmm. The director escapes me at the moment, but I promise you I'll remember her name at some point. Um, it was produced and um, it was produced in 2016, but it follows this notion of performing. Um, the documentary opens up and the first person they're interviewing is well, yeah, you know, being in an academy is a performance. Uh, we perform. We we've learned and mastered the perform. We've learned and mastered the art of performing. And so, my first question is: When you think about the ways you've had to perform, has there ever been a time where you've confused your performance self with your authentic self? I'll say no. <laughs> so you went, mm -hmm, no, because um, I think I've been in many ways performing for a long time in the sense of you're, you're raised in an environment where I went to predominantly white schools. So, um, and having two parents that were K-12 educators being raised in Topeka, Kansas, understanding the fullness of Brown v. Board because I socialized in that circle um, I, I knew every day of the spaces that I lived in and, and I was really quiet as a child so I observed a lot that was taking place and could see different behaviors and how people reacted to blackness and to my parents engagement and just you know trying to use their whiteness as a way to kind of um, subdue or to exert some sort of influence or power over my parents so I've always sort of seen that taking place and um, learned at an early age this notion of code switching. Learned at an early age that there is some level of performity by mom and dad saying dress this way and you know when you go here speak to this person and make sure you give eye contact and and things of that nature. So in one space it was a thing of reverence you know to elders but in another it was sort of survival skills they were providing me um, day to day. So I learned all of that as a young age. And then um, being an athlete um, was another part of the performance because by nature, I'm an introvert. And but I didn't really become sort of an extrovert until I performed athletically. Mm -hmm. So I always know I've always played between these these different roles. And then even being in an academic space, Lord Jesus, that's, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't have any other words because it's, it's been my first academic position was at a historically white male Division I, R1 institution, has a Bush Library, Texas, you know, and so awesome. just imagine all of that. Um, and so, you know, that whole notion, being the only African-American female in my division, being surrounded by males, um, being married, then having two children while pursuing your academic career. 
I mean, performance is all over it. Having students tell me, well, I'm a legacy. I'm like, well, that's great. I also have four degrees and you have none. Um, So, I mean, but it's still a one of performance. You know, it's one of performance and where the first day of class for every class, every semester, I basically have to give my resume just to say I'm qualified because when I'm in a white space, I'm in a white male space and I'm also in a space of sport, which is male dominated. And so how dare you? be in this space and teaching me. Mm-hmm. So that notion of performance is an everyday activity, not only for students, but just engagement with colleagues. And to be quite honest, it's exhausting. It is truly exhausting. So when I get home, I get home mm-hmm. and look for that space. And so um, performance is, 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 is always, so I'm, I'm definitely aware of it because I'm like I get in the car I can take the mask off yeah. I was rocking diggable, diggable planets this morning <laughs> you know listening to some notorious but I'm going to the office let's put some jazz on yeah. you know <laughs> or I can put my headphones in and do my work and do my writing and so um, the last thing I'll say is that that became a challenge as I got more immersed into my work and research on black women in sport because I'm living this injustice but writing about injustice and it's it's taxing. And so you become way more conscious about it. And I think that just added on to another layer of putting that mask on um, and having to try to work within that. But at the same time, it, it was challenging to sort of reconcile that you don't feel like you in these spaces. And I felt at the same time, I'm also was sort of taking away from the scholarship that could come forth because I wasn't able to sort of fully be me and write fully about our lived experience, if that makes sense. Yeah. Brief interjection. Shout out to Roxanne Walter Canton, who produced Living Thinkers. Would you like to go next? Sure. Okay, so um, when you initially asked the question, and before I had a minute to process, I wanted to say I did know my authentic self. But um, I guess for me, just being like an alumni turned professional, it was tough trying to navigate like I may have just had class or just been in a leadership position with mm-hmm. you or just, you know, different experiences with students and then trying to still come across or not come, well, yeah, come across this professional, like that mask of like, mm-hmm. I know what I'm doing. I got this job for a reason. Like, you know, like trying to keep yourself together. Um, so it was it was a really tough transition. And I feel like through all of that, um, my professional self wound up becoming my new normal. So I thought that was my authentic self. Mm. And I didn't even realize until I had um, gotten, I gotten back in touch with a friend and she was just like, you're just so different at work. Like I had, this is a friend that I had known since we were in the second grade. So she's seen all types of transitions and growth and Mm -hmm. all different things going on with me. So, one day she had just come by my job and we went and looked at apartments and this is when we had like first became friends again it had been a while um and months later she wound up telling me that she felt like i was different around um my workplace versus being around her and i guess that's that whole thing comes from me feeling like me just still trying to understand like what my line and my boundary is when it comes to interacting with students and like Still feeling like I can't get too deep into certain topics because it might be problematic or I don't I don't know. I was still just trying to like navigate like 
what I enjoyed most about being a, a black woman or a person, just whatever, mm-hmm. and the line between, well, maybe you shouldn't talk about this because this is work, and these specific sets of topics are work, and everything outside of that is probably not valid. Um, and then I think looking at it later, like looking now and reflecting back, I think there was a sort of like a bit of a deep sadness once I did realize that that was the case. Because um, I've, I've never really been the biggest fan of small talk, but I feel like in the workplace there's a lot of small talk. So I'm a person who likes to explore depth, and if I don't get that for so long, I, f- I probably function like on a very low wave. But the moment I am able to explore topics and conversations and concepts like I feel like I become alive so I think for a while I had really felt like that just was my new normal because that's all I was around and like yes they used to be friends with me before I graduated but now we're not friends but we are so it was it was just a very weird space but um I guess me knowing that I was performing was my friend bringing that to my attention but I think I had I, I thought that this line and this mixing was normal for me because of my student leadership experience and already having to operate on this level, but not being a professional necessarily. Um, so yeah, I guess I recognize that when I do perform, I know I'm on. I know that is me being on. And like, I think even like earlier this week and even last week, I was realizing that there are just certain times I'm not in the mood to be on. And then people like, me knowing that they we that we're in an interaction right now that the last time we had a conversation I was on but now you still want me to be on but I wasn't ready for it so it takes me a minute to like readjust back into that mask but it's a process <laughs> just like my last answer I guess it's a process <laughs> it's all a process my grandmother used to tell me this thing growing up you can say anything you want to say to anybody you just have to put it in this beautiful, big old shiny box and put a beautiful ribbon on it and then deliver it to them. <laughs> and they'll understand like what to do. They won't know if you just cussed them out. They won't know if you just told them where to jump and how high and when to come down, but they will do exactly what you say. And I used to laugh at that all the time. And then um, as I grew up and navigated these different spaces and needed my desired outcome you know, and understood that, oh, I needed to talk a certain way or be a certain way, I realized, oh, this is performing. Okay, this is code switching, you know. And being the only black woman many times in um, different spaces, I I realized that you got to show up and you got to play the game, you got to perform. If you don't, you'll be called from experience, intimidating, angry black woman, um, hostile you know all those things um even someone said oh yes yes uh you remind me of um one of those women from Atlanta Housewives do you watch that show you know you remember seasons three I'm like no I don't watch that show I don't remember that season and wait who what you know like I understand that we all have these different frames of references and that's what we bring when we come you know, interact with people but well like practice broadening that or something I sometimes I feel like I'm adapting to you I'm working to code switch to adapt to you sometimes just one day you know try to adapt try to let's work together you know because it's always us performing 
all the time. Um, and then something really funny happened when I realized it's these kids. These kids make you. They <laughs> you like challenge you and all that stuff, right? Uh, my son, who is 22, he said, when I said, why would you go outside like that? Like, you're going to go to your workplace with this? At the time, excuse me, at the time he was about 18, and he was like, I'm expressing myself. This is how I want to be. And I'm like, you're not going to get what you are trying to get with looking like that, with your hair like that or like this. And he's like, Mom, wait, you taught me to express myself and to show up in these, space, these places, these spaces the way I am, authentic. And now you're telling me to change? Whoa. I had to step, step back and realize how much I'm performing and then you know, myself and like showing up authentic in places. And then I also asking myself, is it worth, you know, taking parts of you away to show up in this space, you know? So every time now when I'm going into certain spaces, especially at work and my profession, different things, I'm always asking myself, like, how much am I really gonna give myself and how much am I gonna take away? Or is it okay for me to be my most authentic self in this place, you know? Yeah. Real talk. <laughs> um, I don't think I realized how much I was performing until it re I couldn't do it anymore. Mm. Um, I've started getting like physically sick from it, but when you go to the doctor and they're like, you're fine, <laughs> you start to realize that um, the performance is really is really doing a number on you. I also think that we perform so much in our community that once we get into the workplace, we've already decided what our role needs to be there. Um, and in that, what I'm trying to say is often, as a black woman, I was called into caretaking, right? And then um, I was also called to be an administrator, which is someone who takes care of, right? And coordinates and, and moves different things um, from start to finish. In that working in not the the space that I'm in now, but in a black space before that, I brought that energy into that space that I needed to care for and I needed to to hold the space in a certain way. And it just got to the point where it was like, I'm worried about how this looks and I'm trying to cover all of the bases and I'm trying to do all of this work but I'm actually robbing other people of really showing up for themselves in a lot of ways. And um, I think that in that, my, my idea of success and driving things forward came from like this, <laughs> it's, we're taught at a very young age that success is a very solitary thing. We're right. taught that if your friends cut up in school, you can no longer affiliate yourself with them. Mm -hmm. We're taught that you need to separate yourself from the bunch in order to succeed. And then the older you get, you recognize how much you really need community mm -hmm. and how much you're not the alpha and the omega mm -hmm. in any situation. So that's a performance in and of itself. And, um, I think one of the times that I was trying to throw performance on someone and I didn't realize it was I had an old boss and she was a black woman, but she treated me like, it was almost like she was hazing me in black, <laughs> in, in how a black woman should work in a space. And in that I was like, 
Well, she's not performing according to community standards. She knows that when she said that to me, she was disrespecting me. I know she knows. Maybe y'all don't know because you're not from where I'm from, but all black people know that that's not how she should have said what she said when she said it to me. (laughs) And then we had the Crucial Conversations workshop, which was uh, a workshop that the Black Female Project hosted in tandem with... um, Venice and I can't remember her last name, but I'm very surprised that I remembered all of that. But um, there was a part in the workshop. <laughs> there was a part in the workshop where they talked about facts versus stories, and there are certain things that do happen, and they are factual, right? But we take those facts and we build on them, and we create a whole narrative mm-hmm. about one thing. A story is a performance. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it gets really hard to separate the two. So I think being present, you know, trying to get the tools that help me unravel this performance and trying to do the things that really speak and call to me, not from a deficit, not from a place where I feel like I need to save something or that if I don't pour all of my energy into this thing, then it just won't be. Yeah, I think that that's when you really get to show up as your authentic self. All right, I got a couple more questions. Okay. Um, (laughs) How does it feel, whether you have been informed or not, that you are someone's inspiration? You repeat that. No. How does it feel? (laughs) (laughs) How does it feel, whether you have been informed or not? Don't use my government name. I think people know who I am. Um, how does it feel, whether you've been informed or not, that you are someone's inspiration? Yeah, that feels... People say that to me. Um, I'm not trying to be like... <laughs> yes, I get told that all the time. No. But being one of the only black women um, sign language interpreters in the Bay Area. No, there's lots of us, but one of my friends told this joke. If you get us all in a room at a conference and there was like a bomb that goes off, there is no more black interpreters in the Bay Area. I just thought that was such so funny because it's kind of true. But um, when I do things like stand on a stage and I'm interpreting or if I'm performing a song in American Sign Language, things like that, or if I just show up to a certain assignment and I'm interpreting. And then the younger or newer interpreters um, or people who are learning sign language and they come to me and they go, wow, like I wanna do that or wow, that's amazing. Or if I go into these CODA spaces, children of deaf adults, and do something or lead a talk or um, a panel about multicultural things like that and people come up to me and say, I'm so inspired or like, can we continue this conversation, things like that. And then they tell me the impacts of my words or my experiences or stories to their lives and how they can apply those things. I'm like, dang, wait a minute, I'm not even done. This is nothing right now, hold on, wait. You know, that's not my best yet, I'm not there yet, you know? So when people say that, I'm like, oh, hold on, I'm I'm inspired by you, right? Like, you know? So I don't I don't feel like I'm that old or even iconic to be said to have been looked up to and saying like, wow, you inspire me. But that in itself is like motivating, you know, to just continue because it's exhausting. It's super exhausting to perform, but also work to be most authentic. 
you know, and be aware of that and recognize, because a lot of times we put things on the shelf and we're like, we're going to deal with that later. I'll shelf that. I'll deal with that later. And we've built a tolerance to carp, um, how, what am I saying? Find different categories and put those things in our experiences and hold on. We'll look, work that later. But I'm coming into this space where I'm like, no, we need to bring that out. Talk about that. Recognize that. Put a label on it. So when you experience it next time, you know exactly how to, um, you know, navigate that. You know, I think I went off a little topic, but <laughs> but that's what came up for me. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think when the conversation that comes to mind when I was talking to Precious Stroud, the founder of the Black Female Project, and I had just left a traditional nine to five, and uh, it was my last traditional nine to five, and I just was telling her how I how I wanted to move moving forward, that I wanted to travel, that I wanted to work on my website, that I wanted to do independent contract project based work in order to facilitate these things. And she was like, you know, she was just like, shoot, one day, you know, I'm going to be saying, you know, Jasmine did, da 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 da, da. And I was like, that's going to be me. That's me. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's me. And so it was like, she was talking about being inspiration to other people. And I was kind of inspired by the idea <laughs> that, like, yeah, I'm really going to do this. You know? And I'm going to do it because other people may need to see me do it. Right. And 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 for my life's work and, and for my own purposes and my promises to myself, like I got like now is the time. Mm-hmm. So I felt inspired to do and to live the life that I'm called to live just so that I can cross paths with the right people. Yeah. Well, you are pretty awesome. Though. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty awesome. Thank yeah, you. yeah, I got somebody special over there. <laughs> <laughs> She do consulting work too. <laughs> right. Put her on the project. So you have never get her back. Um, I love that Jasmine said. Like sometimes you need to see someone else do it. Like representation is so key, and we forget sometimes. But um, students have told me different things. Like oh. I look up to you because of X, Y, Z, and it's like, I n- never intentionally do things for people to look up to me. Right. But then when I hear that, it makes me feel like I'm always being watched mm-hmm. in a weird way. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I kind of do watch how I come across, but at the same time, it's the things that you're probably not monitoring that people are really paying attention mm-hmm. to. So, um, so like, I think creative power is, it can be very exhausting, like really, putting out your ideas or putting that energy into that thing that you really like to do. But then I think when you hear other people say like, oh, that's really cool or that's really inspiring. I want to try this with you. Or can you tell me more? Like that's that gas that like really keeps you going. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, intentional things that I'm aware of, you know, I try to keep going. But the unintentionals, I feel like those are things that I might not ever know or that'll be something that's brought to my attention later but I'm just doing me and if people pay attention cool if they don't cool but it's really nice to hear when people are receptive to different things of your lifestyle that you really enjoy and you can like ultimately share with other people too Mm -hmm. so I love that that's what we were saying earlier when when I was talking about like radiating you know, mm-hmm. the, just the culture for the culture. Mm-hmm. Yes, we just radiate. It. It's just us. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So this is the last one. 
is the hardest one. Hmm. So brace yourself. It's a super simple question. In your opinion, because the, the, the documentary ends with this quote, in your opinion, what does Alice Walker's quote, I do the work my soul must have, mean to you? Uh, for the audience out there who doesn't know who Alice Walker is, Alice Walker is a activist, writer, queer, Alice goes on for a while, but she produced the color purple. Movie is long as hell. <laughs> <laughs> the movie and the book vary, but then I watched that movie for the first time, and I promise you, I went to the bathroom, got something to eat, left the house, and came back and was like, "How this still on?" Mm. <laughs> How? When did you first watch it? Uh, first time I watched it was in 2016. Hmm. I just never really had an interest in it. And the person I was, the partner I had at the time, decided that she wanted to try and change my life mm -hmm. by having me watch all the classic films, which somehow included Gladiator, Titanic, The Color Purple. But we only got to The Color Purple because I didn't feel like watching Titanic. I was not going to sit there <laughs> right. and watch people die on the boat, especially since I know for a fact. <laughs> that they should die faster than what they actually did. And, <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm wild. I'm, you have no idea yet. And they could have shared that piece of wood. From all the explanations I've got, they could have shared the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But I digress. Who would like to go first? <laughs> what? I can't even go. Wait. <laughs> Oh my you god, funny. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm just okay. Um, say that piece of wood, right? Yeah. So, they could have shared. They could have, but they did. She didn't. No. Yeah, she didn't. Uh, she was like, all right, it's time for you to go. I gotta survive. So Goodbye. would you have given that piece of wood to your partner? Yes. Yeah, you would have given it to her or shared it. I would have shared it. Okay. She can swim. Well, the person I was with can swim. I can't swim. I, I, we don't. We don't help each other out. Either. We need to do better, though. I'm working on it. It's yeah. work in progress. Those are the facts. So you can go first. Yes. So the quote: <laughs> <laughs> "I do the work my soul must have." Right. Yes. Um, for me, I think a couple years ago, I realized something similar like this, but wasn't able to put it into words. So I had a conversation. Well, that's. A whole other topic never mind um now you started now all right <laughs> well i actually had a conversation with um a co-worker today jenny in gender equity and um she also co-sponsors our podcast yes. she's in here yes oh sorry and um we were talking about how we speak and she was saying that she actually has like explicit monologues in her head when in for me it's like that doesn't happen as often as me like feeling something and having a couple words that can be picked out of those feelings. So like if I try to explain a feel like something that I felt to someone, it would take me a minute to process how that feels in all of the words versus the couple that came out. I don't know. It's hard to explain, but I know I have felt this and now these are the words that I have felt before. Um, but yeah, like for me, what what's the point of living if if you're not being if you're not feeding yourself? Like if you have all of these ideas and all this emotion and action and all these feelings and you do nothing about this and like you don't strive for what you genuinely want, 
I don't understand what the point of living really is. Because I feel like we are conditioned to do all of these things and, like, perform and just be, like, live for other people's dream. I guess that's a good way for me to put it. Um, like, living for other people's dream and not really ever recognizing that you've been dreaming too or acknowledging that your dreams are existing too. And I I know that I'm on the pursuit of figuring out what all of my dreams are and I I write them down and I try to put the the action in all of these things but yeah like just more simply I don't know what the point would be if you don't feed your soul while you're here. I don't like I I think for me I always look back or I look at like, okay, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years from now, what do I want to look back on and be happy that I contributed or have done or gave to other people? And if I look back and it's nothing, I don't know. I don't know if that would be a good feeling to sit with me right now. So I would rather go, I would rather maybe be uncomfortable or be tired or stressed for the things that I care about and know that it'll have a good product later on in the end versus me being at the end and being mad that I didn't, I coulda, shoulda, coulda, woulda, and didn't do anything about it. So I'd rather live a life of, not shoulds, but I know I saw a quote a couple years ago, like I'd rather live a life of I did those or shouldn't have did those versus shoulda, coulda, wouldas. Or what ifs. That's what it was. It was something like that. But yeah. I'm gonna quote you on that. Sure. Good luck. Because <laughs> that was a lot. Congratulations. It's recorded. I'll find it. I don't know. I feel like um, growing up, um, our generations before us was so uh, fixated or worried about or maybe concerned on survival. You know, just surviving, right? You, And this stems for all people of color, um, but I'll just speak from my own black experiences that, you know, my parents and my grandmother are like, don't do that or don't say that because you won't get the job that is from nine to five, has the great benefits and sit down and wait for retirement type of thing, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I understand, I understand that that is a survival mechanism. And I understand that at first I was resentful. I'm like, this is not what my soul is calling me to do. You know, like I am not going into nursing. That's not what I want to do, you know, things like that. But, and I was resenting them. Like you never lived your dream or whatever. But now I understand that that's their, that was their coping. That was their survival. So now here I am. And if I don't do what my soul is desiring, like if I don't do that, then I'll be letting all that down. That legacy that they passed to me is how to survive. Okay, great. So my legacy that I need to continue is the things that my soul is like searching and calling for. The things that come up to me when I hear that um, is healing, just mm-hmm. healing, healing coming from you know from those survival techniques that they have imposed and you know put on us, and also healing myself like I remember going to the WPC the white privilege conference because I got a lot of stuff built up for my experiences from white people y'all I do you know yes there's a whole conference called white privilege conference yes this year um April 4th it's a 
Yeah, it addresses white privilege. Oh, okay. It addresses, like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know. So my response to that was it's, Can we get a stupid beef. shit white people say comment <laughs> where they hear everything they say to us and they, think about it? Just, just hear it, think about it, reflect. It is organized it's by a, lot a black of that. person. Mm-hmm. Dr. Meant, Eddie Moore. Yes. Yes. Meant to address white privilege. Yes. Yes. Okay. I think I educated today. Uh-huh, and so when I first went there, there was a symposium in Oakland, actually, and I went there, I was like, let me see what this is about. It better be a whole bunch of white people there getting the black experience, mm-hmm. right? But it was the opposite. It was we in the Bay Area, so it was a lot of us, right? But then when I went to, where was I? I think it was, um, was I in Tennessee? Like Philadelphia, mm-hmm. when I went there, and just blew my mind because there were a lot of people unpacking, but asking permission to unpack things were happening like oh my gosh like hope my hope for the world is is for real y'all like going to this um so doing work like that um and realizing that it's okay to understand that you're traumatized by certain experiences you know when all these microaggressions that we experience on a daily on a daily basis um some of that stuff is messy and when our vessel gets full of those microaggressions it goes out like caught me 10 years ago shoot even five i would have told you like where to go after (laughs) you know and now i can sit there and say i understand what you're saying and this is what's coming up for me and i'm gonna stay here while you process this and we can work at this together before i would have been like look mm, this is Mm -hmm. what you this is what came up for me and bye you know but you know, my soul, like, I know I needed some healing to go through this so that I could be able to show up places most authentic. And not only that, but my legacy that I leave behind, I have these three beautiful children and these two beautiful nieces, and I need them to understand that this is your right. You can stand up in your own, you know, and go in these places and navigate your spaces, you know, most authentically. Let me give you some tools. You know, they're not going to be the ones that our grandmas and grandpas and great, great, great bless their hearts. That's what they needed to survive. But let me just show you in 2020 how to do this, you know. Um, and then you know how y'all young people is. You're going to just morph it into something beautiful like you always do. But that's great. <laughs> <laughs> so but that's what comes up for me when I hear that. You said that, and the first thing that came to mind was my mom used to tell me all the time, y'all young people are hard-headed. <laughs> I tell you, there's a wall right there, and you run full speed anyway. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you right. Sometimes we want to experience the issue for ourselves, mm-hmm. though. Because I know I'm hard-headed, but like, if someone tells me, oh, well, you probably shouldn't do it that way, I'm going to do it that way just to see what the result is, period. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Isn't that sometimes? It's not a bad thing. It's just that um, you see it. That's the most challenging thing about parenting is that mm-hmm. you see the wall is right there and you just see them running full mm-hmm. force. Mm-hmm. I told you about that wall. I told you it grew. It Like mm-hmm. I built another piece of it and you still running towards it, you know. <laughs> so just to like put a mirror right there and then put like a little cushion so you don't <laughs> hit your head too hard. But you got to hit your head by yourself. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I do the work my soul must have Um, I think that quote resonates with something in my own personal history Um, when I got back from my first trip to the continent at the time um, 
Something said to me, there's no such thing as a missed opportunity, but if you keep sitting on this, it's going to die. And I was like, oh, first of all, who that download come from, right? <laughs> and, and second, I understood it so perfectly. There are endless opportunities. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, not showing up as you, not doing what you know you're called to do in spite of, I keep going back to the socioeconomics because money is important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. What you do in order to gain your money is important. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just found out recently from uh, one of my SE sisters, Lemmy, they were telling me that they had gone to an herbalist and the herbalist said that you're born with a certain amount of life force. You can eat healthy, you can drink all the water, you can exercise, but there are certain things that are stored in your adrenals that you're born with a certain amount of. And the only thing that can replenish that space is love, rest, happiness, you know, being around the people that bring you those things, being a bringer of those things into yourself. And I was like, oh, they're not going to take me up out of here prematurely. (laughs) And I know sometimes I do let them drive me, the forces that be sometimes. (laughs) But I always try and remember that. Doing things that deplete you, doing things that don't give you room, opportunity, mental space, um, energy, time, whatever it is to really do what you need to do. I, I was always sitting in proximity to my seat. I was always trying to do something to get in that door, not realizing you got the key. They're employing you for a reason. Why do you keep asking for permission to be you, to live your life? You don't get to sign my trip slips anymore. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I do the work that my soul must have. I don't really think at the end of the day, many of us have a choice. Like if you keep forfeiting that choice, it'll be taken from you, Mm -hmm. right? So I do the work that my soul must have. Lend yourself to what you really feel like you need to do one step at a time. And I'm remembering that for myself, too. So, yeah, I would say that's it. That was beautiful. I told you she was real awesome. (laughs) (laughs) That was beautiful. Thank you. This is a wonderful note to end this on. (laughs) As is with the tradition of our guests, I will thank you all for coming out. Thank you. Um, thank you, thank you Dr. Francis, who had to leave early to go pick up her little chitlins. Um, <laughs> shout out to Aiden and Alex, because I know that if they ever listen to this, um, they'd be like, Mom, he didn't say anything about it. I, I said it, okay? They had it about it. Um, so as with tradition, we give our guests the end an opportunity to tell people what they have coming up for them, so that can be you're writing a book, tell them about the book. If you're, you know, going on a trip, tell them about the trip. You know, this is your opportunity to tell people something that you're excited about. It could be multiple things. It could be nothing, you know. Mm-hmm. What, what What's next? Um, I'm looking forward to kind of taking a, a, a mental health break in March. I'm trying to um, figure out what the word is going to be when I send messages to people. You know, mm-hmm. that, like, I'm taking this month to deep clean my house I'm taking this month to really sit with myself to relearn how to breathe because that ain't really been working too well lately Mm -hmm. Um, and just to kind of plan because they say like um, you can be filled with 
What did what did Auntie Ayama say in Acts of Faith? She was like, "You can be filled with promise, but if you don't have a purpose and you don't have a plan, what is that?" Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also really excited about. Um, there's a few events coming up that celebrate blackness. Uh, one of which is Black Vines, which is for Black vintners, um, and it's a basically it's like a festival. It's happening tomorrow, which is the 29th of February, mm-hmm. and uh, the Black Female Project is. Um, is one of the organizations that will benefit from the proceeds <laughs> of Black Vines. So it is a day filled with music, uh, Black vintners, and art, and cuisine as well. Um, I'm also excited <laughs> about really excited. the Black Teacher Project conversation coming up on March 11th um, in tandem with the Black Female Project. And... Um, uh, one of those things for myself is an, uh, a piece that's going to be published in Emergent Art Space about some of the work that I've done as a creative and giving advice and stuff like that. So a continuation of the things that I'm interested in. So, yeah. Black Vines takes place uh, tomorrow, which is Sunday. No? Saturday. Saturday I'm mm-hmm. sorry, you see? <laughs> Saturday, February 29th, 2020 in Berkeley is um, Black Vines. They were featured on, I believe it was KTVU and another um, news outlet. But mm-hmm. if you just look up Black Vines, uh, yeah, well, it's on the Internet, too. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to find it on the Internet. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's happening in Berkeley tomorrow from 1 to 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. That's a very interesting window. Yes. Uh, let's see. Things that are coming up for me soon. Um, I don't, I'm not like a publisher or anything, so I don't have any artwork to publish or anything. <laughs> but um, just really spending time with my kids. They're they're mm-hmm. grown. They're My daughter's in college. She's 23. She's about to graduate and start applying for med school. Just being there for seeing that, you know. And then my son, 22, and just on his, his adventure, his journey, and just being really present. And then I have a son that's 13. And mm-hmm. He's into everything, you know? Yes, yeah, so that black don't crack. I don't have to tell you about it. No, nah, I'm, I'm praying for you because he's 13. Yeah. Doing it all over again. My brother's turned 13, and I'm just like, Lord. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so cute to see him, like, noticing the changes in his face and body and stuff, and <laughs> me telling him, it's okay. That's a normal thing. It's all right. So it's kind of funny. Um, traveling soon, I'll be going to Germany in May. Yeah, and I've been looking it up. There's a lot of black people out there. I'm happy about that. <laughs> Germany love black people. Let me um, tell you. Really? Like, and <laughs> I, I know we don't like talking about that 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 continent as a whole because mm-hmm. of the, the the evils they've caused the world. Mm-hmm. But listen, there are certain spaces you walk into, especially being dark skinned, mm-hmm. they will treat you like royalty. Really? Okay, that's just, where I need to go. Just, just, just don't get because because of the way that migration works. Hmm. Um, if you're from America, they're going to assume that you have money or they're going to assume that you're from um, the continent and you are be like, mm-hmm. well, I'm American. And they're like, that's even better. I'm, oh. I'm American and I'm not rich. And mm-hmm. you'd be like, mm-hmm. but then some people just don't care and they'll spoil you anyway. So, you know, just, <laughs> you know, I just don't need them to ask me anything about uh, politics or anything because mm-hmm. that would be like, sit down, <clears throat> get some tea, we'll, we'll talk about it. <laughs> but yeah. So I'm excited about traveling and, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And for myself, um, so March is actually going to be a really great month um, that I'm excited about. So um, 
I'm actually going on a trip to India with my friend for an idiot Indian wedding. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's gonna be like the shopping the day before type of thing. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> you live this is San Jose, Fremont. No, I live in San Jose. Oh, okay. Um, Lots but beautiful stories. Yeah, no, I think we're going to shop, like, there okay, when it comes good. to this. Because, like, me and my friend, neither of us are Indian, so we don't know what to look for, what sh- we should wear, what if there's a color we need to do. So that's something of next week. That's so cool. Yeah, so I leave on Friday, and then I'll actually be going to Dubai for, like, three or four days, and then India for three days. Ah, can I come? Hey, I'll pick you in my suitcase. <laughs> yes, I'm getting here. <laughs> So I'm really excited about that. This is my first time using my passport. So um, this is very special, you know. Um, And then on a personal note, at the end of the month, I think on March 22nd is my last day of yoga teacher training. So I'm really excited, like really excited. So you could be a full on yogi. I could be. So um, (laughs) yeah, I'm just I'm really excited to see like. Where yoga, where yoga takes me and where I can take yoga. So um, regardless, I plan to ser- service uh, black people because we don't, we, I think we could use a lot of the tools that yoga provides and the guidance and the growth and the introspection that I don't know if enough people really have the time to just sit down and do sometimes. Mm-hmm. But you can do it in a class. You don't have to just sit down and just do it like, I mean, unless that's how you want to practice your yoga class, but um, to be able to come to something with other people and experience this together, I think there's a lot of power in yoga classes. So that's something I'm really excited for for March. And I guess that's my gas right now. I can't really think beyond that because I'm excited about these two things. But, yeah, life's good. Those are lots of exciting things. Mm-hmm. Um, you might catch me out in Berkeley tomorrow. Though. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> She's talking about vendors. I'm, I'm trying. Look, it's Black History Month. They didn't have us in Oakland this year. I was kind of mm-hmm. disappointed in that, but I might as well go ahead. Give me some. Give me a couple things to pop out. Pop out on campus with. Um, with all that being said, again, thank you so much, Jasmine. Thank you so much, Monique. Thank you so much, Armani. And thank you to all who are listening. And I hope that you. Take something away from this, whether that be um, the experiences of all the the wonderful women who have been on this podcast or, you know, considering how you act in a public space versus how you act in a private space. And are you really showing up authentically? Um, I ain't got a deep for y'all. So this is, it's been Aaron and Chris. (laughs) And this is the Mentoring Change Podcast. (laughs) 